struggling, frustrated, sitting on the steps of a church that doesn't exist anymore, going, how did I get here? You know, thinking back and just was so sure that the voice of God had spoken to me into my life. And now looking back on it, I'm thinking that maybe at best it was indigestion. And at worst, it was some kind of demonic spirit masquerading as the spirit of God. But realizing that probably it was just me doing what I wanted to do and then proclaiming that it was God that had told me to do it. Oh, because <laughs> isn't that what it is most of the time? Oh, God spoke to me and told me I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z. Man, no, he didn't. You wanted to do X, Y, and Z, and you needed a little encouragement. So you said it came from God. And so that's where I was in that moment. I was like, yep, that's what happened. You wanted to do this. You wanted to do all this. And then so you made up this story about how God told you to. And so that made it all worth it, right? That made it worth fighting for. That made it worth sacrificing for. That made it worth going for because you pretend like that God had given you this message to do this stuff. And now look what happened. It all crumbled to dust in your hands. And I'm sitting there filled with shame and regret and remorse and just a level of frustration that I can't even fathom these days. And, and just not knowing what to do. Just, just not knowing what to do. As I sit there on the steps, man, after my small group, get this, my small group helped me go clean out my office. <laughs> um, and then I felt an impression from God. Once again, and I was sure this time that it wasn't, you know, wasn't something I ate, that it wasn't my own inclination. And it just said, rise up, get up. I'm not done with you yet. And, 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 and it wasn't a voice, it's just much of a feeling that I just had to keep fighting. Just a feeling that I just had to keep going. I mean, I didn't hear the, the voice of God speak in that moment. I just had this like urge just in my heart, in my soul, in my very spirit that just told me that I just had to get up and, and go. To, to just get up and, and get ready because the work was not done yet. And about that, and this is going to sound silly to y'all, but about that time, my wife came around the front of the truck and she said, get up, get ready. There's still more work to do. And it sounds silly, but it's all I needed. Does that make sense to anybody here? It's all I needed, man, that little bit of encouragement. And she just meant that I needed to go pack some stuff. But the things that God uses in your life, to communicate with you, man. The things that God uses in your life just to make sure that you understand that he is here and he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And no matter how far away you've gotten, no matter how beaten down you've gotten, that he is not done with you yet. So we're going to be today in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 16 and, uh, you know, it's a very famous piece of scripture. It's where David gets anointed as the next king of Israel. But I want to talk about David today. People talk about David all the time. Brent talked about David last week. We're going to talk about David again next week. I, I, I don't want to talk about David today. And I want to talk about Samuel today. I want to talk about Samuel today because Samuel plays just as important of a part in this whole thing as, as King David does. But, but, but just I want to get you where I'm at, man. In 1 Samuel 16... The prophet Samuel is beat down a little bit. And here's why. Because previous to this in Scripture, 
Samuel was the judge of Israel. He was the last judge of Israel. He was like the prophet ruler of Israel. He spoke with the voice of God into the kingdom of Israel, but Israel rejected him as their leader. Israel didn't want a prophet from God as their leader. They wanted a king like everybody else has. Everybody else has a king. We want to have a king too. And, and, and so Samuel goes to God, and he's like, God, what am I supposed to do? They want a king. And, and, and God says to Samuel, he says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And yeah, but at the same time, Samuel's a man. He's a human being. You know what I'm saying? And God's trying to take all the full responsibility for it. But at the same time, it's got to be heavy. And he says to give, and then God says to Samuel, give them what they want. Give them, if they want a king, give them what they want. And this is what it's going to look like. And you go ahead and tell them what it's going to be like, but go ahead and do it for them. And so Samuel, you know, goes and just humbly goes before uh, the people and tells them what it's going to be like. And they're like, yeah, we know it's going to be terrible and we still want it. You know, and, and gosh, I have to identify with him as a preacher so much in that. So many times I tell people, hey, this is, do the things of the Lord. It's going to go like this. And if you keep doing the things that you're doing, it's going to go like this. And two weeks later, they come back and they're like, I did some thing and it was awful. And I'm like, oh. I mean, I, don't, I hate to say it, but I told you so. <laughs> like, anyway, but, but I have to feel like I have to kind of identify with Samuel there. But then Samuel like does this thing and he follows the commands of God, but he goes and anoints the first king of Israel, right? Transferring the leadership that he had had over to Saul and, and anoints it, has this big ceremony, anoints the first king of Israel and, and transfers the leadership, listen, transfers the leadership of the kingdom of Israel from God to the people. But he was the instrument that did that. And that's heavy. And, and a lot of you guys, if you've studied scripture at all, you know what happens to Saul was a terrible king. Saul disobeyed God and, and, and did like all these things that were outside the realm of what God had for him and, and had a lot of psychosis going on and did all this, you know, and did all this crazy stuff. And then God removes the anointing from him and rejects him as king of Israel. And when he does that, Samuel just falls to pieces thinking, what have I done? What, what have I done? It was my hand that did this. And of course it wasn't, but he's a human being. And so he falls into this severe depression. And so this is where we begin this story in 1 Samuel 16 is God has rejected Saul as king of Israel, removed the anointing from him, and the prophet Samuel is in a deep depression and, and mourning state. And so that's where we pick up. You'll stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Book of Samuel, uh, book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've selected a king from his sons. And Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And the Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. And Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. It was tough when Samuel came to town. They knew he was about to start doing some stuff. And most of the time they didn't like it. He's going to tear down some idols. You know what I'm saying? He's going to kick some idol worshipers. Well, never mind. In peace, he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly, certainly the Lord's anointed is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is, humans see what is visible, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadad and presented him to Samuel. And the, Lord, and, and the Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. That's depressing. Isn't seven the number of completion? I mean, isn't that all of what humanity had to offer? And Samuel does something really cool, which I'll get to in a few minutes. But let's just read it. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, he answered. He doesn't even have a name. But they're still the young. He's so irrelevant that we didn't bring him to church with us. But they're still the youngest. But right now he's tending the sheep. And Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't even sit down and eat till he gets here. So Jesse sent for him, and he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. And then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. You see, he's got a name now all of a sudden. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for always being that helping hand that's there to lift us out of whatever we get trapped in, for always being that road to wherever it is that we need to go. And thank you, God, more than anything else for being the destination at the end of that road to which we all travel in Jesus name amen and amen let's give him a shout of praise can we and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord so let me ask you the same thing that God asked Samuel how long how long are you going to mourn in whatever it is that didn't go the way that you thought that it was supposed to go? How long are you going to wallow in your own confused, insecure delusions of what could have been? Look, you can lay there your whole life or you can get up and be on your way. You see, Samuel thought that he had failed God that he had failed the kingdom of Israel, that he had failed the people. Samuel thought that he had failed at everything in his life, and so he was willing to just lay there and die in the midst of his sorrow. He thought that because of his failure, his story was over. He thought that since the people had rejected him and through him rejected God, and then also rejected Saul as king, that his story was over. That because he had let everything, everyone down, that everything had come to an end. And you know, Ecclesiastes 3 says that there's a time for mourning, right? It says there's a time for mourning. But in that same verse that it says there's a time for mourning, it also says there's a time for dancing, 
And for Samuel, the time of mourning had come to an end. The time for dancing was still on the way, but the time right now was for him to get his dancing shoes on and find a partner, can you say amen? And I wonder how many of us are stuck in that season of mourning, beat down. Beat down, stuck in depression and anxiety and fear and guilt and pain and all those things when really what we need to do is take the hand of the Lord and let him lift us up out of all those things and set our feet on solid ground and give us a little boost on the way that we need to be going. But how many of us get stuck there, right? How many of us get stuck there? How many of us get lost in, in the things of, of, of the world and in, in all the pain, all the torment that we have, have suffered in? But... We can't get stuck there. We can't. See, we've got to rise up out of what is so that we can be led by God into what will be. Because if we don't get up out of what is, then what should be will never be. Can you say amen? God wants to use you to do something amazing. But some of us are still stuck in the past. We're still stuck in these old things. We're still stuck in what was and we'll never be able to see what should be. We'll never be able to see what should be. (laughs) God says, to, God says this to, uh, to, to Samuel. He says, get up. Get up. Fill your horn with oil because I'm sending you. Get up and fill your horn with oil because I'm sending you. If you've been around here very long at all, then you know that oil in Scripture is the symbol of the Holy Spirit of the living God. That oil, all the anointing with oil always symbolizes the Holy Spirit of the living God. And, and so what he's really saying to him and to us here today is get up, get filled with the Spirit, and get on your way. So get up, get filled up, and go because I still have a calling in your life. I still have a purpose for you, but it's only going to be revealed to you from the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I would reference Romans 12 here and tell all of you, did you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God. So look, the, the, the oil is the Holy Spirit. The horn is just the holding pattern, man. You are the horn and the oil is the Spirit. And so God wants to give, use you to, to fulfill that purpose uh, all across the earth. I'm sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. <laughs> and Samuel says, how can I go? If Samuel hears, if, Samuel, if, if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. He'll kill me. The last time that I did this, it was the most epic failure in my entire life. And now, God, you're asking me to go and to do this again? God, how can I go and do it again when last time I failed so terribly? And yet that's what God's calling him to do. To do the exact same thing that got him put down in the midst of all that pain in the first place. How can I do this, God? If Saul finds out, he'll kill me. How many of us let the fear of our past keep us stuck right where we are? Because we're afraid that if we get out there and try to do life again, that the things from our past are going to creep up and try to kill us and try to destroy us all over again. He he thinks that his past is out there lurking, just waiting to destroy him. I mean, how many people in in today's day and age, how many people are, are stuck right where they are because they're afraid that if they try to go back to school, that their past is going to drag them back down. If they try to go and get a better job, that their past is going to drag them back down. If they try to live 
a better life, that their past is out there just lurking, just waiting for them to step foot out the door so it can pounce on them and destroy them and rip them to shreds. You know, too many times we stay down because it's easier to stay down than it is to get knocked down again. It's easier to stay down than it is to get knocked down. Just stay down. Just stay down. Just stay down because it's easier to stay there than it is to get knocked down. Unless, of course, you know the one that's going to come and pick you up again. Because I'm here to tell you that if you get knocked down a thousand times, Jesus Christ will pick you up a thousand times over and over and over again. But if you don't have that faith, then just stay down. Just stay down. Just stay down. But I'm thankful for rock bottom because that's where I started looking up. Can you say amen? And I saw the one that was waiting there for me. I saw the one with that nail-scarred hand extended to pick me up off the ground and to dust me off and to send me on my way. We were at football practice the other day. Logan had his first varsity start Friday night, man. He was excited. He played great. But practice this last week, we were doing a drill. And he plays guard. And he was pulling around the outside. And he came around. And he ran flush into a uh, <laughs> 19-year-old, 325-pound, fifth-year senior, right? That had about a four or five-step running start on him. Knocked him down like a WWE body slam. But he popped back up like one of them bopping dummies. I mean, he popped right back up on his feet, went right back, got, got back in line, got back in his stance. And one of the younger kids was like, are you okay? And Logan said, I'm fine. He said, I'm great. He said, as a matter of fact, I mean, this is him talking. This is basically what he said. He said, as a matter of fact, if you don't like getting knocked down like that every now and then, you're probably doing the wrong thing. I was on, on the outside. I was like, get in line. Everybody get, get ready. Next, next person up. But on the inside, I was like, yeah, come on because I knew I was gonna use that as a sermon illustration because let me tell you this, if you don't like getting knocked down every now and then, if, if you don't like being led into a situation that you know is not gonna turn out in your best interest, if you don't like coming up against a mountain that you know that there's no way you're ever gonna be able to cross, if you don't like going up against obstacles that you know there's no way that you can take down, if you don't like being led through the valley of the shadow of death every now and then, then you better stop following Jesus and find something else to do. But if you're a little crazy and you like doing stuff like that every now and then, then guess what? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him because he wants to take you somewhere. Let's give him a shout of praise because that's who he is and that's what he does. You're going to get knocked down every now and then. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to get knocked down every now and then. But you know what? He'll be there every single time to help you get back up again. And here's the awesome thing about football and also about following Jesus. Every time that you get back up, you're a little better than you were when you got knocked down. You're just a little bit better. You're a little tougher. You got a little more skill. You're a little bit more able to take on the next thing that comes your way. Hey God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I failed so much last time and Saul's gonna kill me if I go. And I just love God. 
in so many ways. But this is one of my favorite things about God. He's like, man, quit moping around. Get up. We got work to do. We got work to do. And if you're going to, and, 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 you know, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I know it's true just from other places in scripture and my own experiences that I've had. Like, this is an opportunity for a fresh anointing for Samuel. This is an opportunity for a fresh anointing for Samuel. And you know what? If he doesn't seize it, if he doesn't seize it, if he refuses to get up and follow God, then God will use somebody else. Because God is going to do the things that he wants to do. God is going to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. What he's giving you is an opportunity to be on board. What he's giving you is an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ here on the earth. And if you won't, guess what? Somebody else will. Somebody else will. And, and so he says to Samuel, man, get up and, and take a heifer with you. Take a cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint the one that I indicate. All this stuff is huge. Go where I tell you to go. Say what I tell you to say. Do what I tell you to do. Be who I've told you to be, and everything will work out for your good and my glory. And that's the same message that he has for you, to he you here today. Go where I tell you to go. Say what I tell you to say. Do what I tell you to do. Most importantly, be who I've told you to be and everything will work out for the glory of God and the good of the people around you. But here's a good spoiler, a spoiler alert for you. It ain't gonna look like what you thought it was gonna look like. It ain't gonna be like what you thought it was gonna be like. You're gonna walk up in there and be like, all right, here we go. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's not. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely this is the anointed of the Lord that stands before him. Because look, Eliab was tall and strong and handsome and everything that Saul was, except this second chance had to be better, right? The sequel's gonna be better than the first part. And he sees Eliab and he's like, this is the guy right here. This is the solution to all of my problems because he looks good and, and he's strong and he's gonna be able to take the kingship from Saul. And now all of a sudden, all the problems are gonna be rectified by this powerful man of God that's standing right here before me. And he gets his oil out, where's my oil? He's like, where's my, where's my horn full of oil? He's like, here's my oil, I'm gonna pour it on my hands. I'm fixing to put it on alive and everything's gonna be okay. And the Lord's like, nope, nope. Samuel's like, what do you mean, nope? Look at this guy. Look at the traps on this guy, man, come on. I know this is my guy. He's got them Ferrigno veins coming out, man. Come on, this is the guy, let's go, let's go. And God says, no. What do you mean, no? This is everything that I had cooked up in my mind that this anointing was going to be. Oh, this is the culmination of everything that I had cooked up in my mind that this calling from God was going to be. I have to take myself back to those moments when I've been in here in this very building, like sweeping the floor when everybody's gone going, yeah, thanks a lot, God. Taking out stinky trash and putting it in the trash bins outside going, what am I doing right now? 
You know, people all the time will be like, man, you're, you're overworked, pastor. You, you're, you know, got all them kids and you work and you're coaching football and you're doing all these things. Let me help you out. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, I'll preach for you one Sunday. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. So you're going to help me by, help me out by like taking the good part. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, let me help you out with that cake. Give me the icing off of it. Right. Let me, let me help you out. Let me help you out with that pizza. Let me pick all the pepperonis off of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. The calling that God has for your life is not going to look anything like what you expect it to. Nothing. Nothing like what you expect it to look. It's going to be so much different than anything that you could ever imagine. But let me tell you, it's going to be so much better than anything that you could ever imagine. Because whatever that we have cooked up in our own finite human minds is so much less than the plans that God has for you and for your family and for what he wants to do through you. And so what we have to remember is that in all things, we need to surrender to God. And and like my brother said earlier, just be obedient to the Lord. Just be obedient to the Lord in whatever season that he has us in, in whatever situation that he has us in. We just got to be obedient to the Lord. And we just got to do what he's called us to do, be who he's called us to be so that we can go and say what he has us to go and say, man. And this is, it's really simple and it's really hard really hard really really hard and then so god's like nope and 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 then he's like man i thought i was supposed to give the fresh anointing of god to this guy he fits all the criteria and 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 look samuel thought that he had heard from god wrong but really he just saw wrong right and, and so, and, and I take myself back to what I was talking about when I opened this service, man. I'm sitting there thinking that I heard wrong from God, but really I'm just seeing the things around me wrong, right? I'm seeing that the culmination of all the problems in my life when what God is seeing is an opportunity, the likes of which I could have never put together in my own mind. And, and I have to, to think that that's going on in a lot of your lives right now. You think maybe you heard wrong from God, but really you're just seeing the situation that you're in wrong. You're seeing the season that he's got you walking through wrong. When what we need to stop doing is looking for escapes and start looking for opportunities. We need to stop looking at all the lines in the den and start looking for the angels that are going to come shut their mouths. We need to stop looking at the flaming furnace that's burning all around us and start looking for that fourth guy that's in there standing in the fire with us. Can somebody say amen? That's the truth. That's the truth. And the next guy comes by, Aminadab, and, 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 and Samuel's like, what about this one? What about this one? Get this done and get out of here, right? What about this one? What about him? And God's like, nope, not him. And then Shammah comes by, and, and Samuel's like, what about him? This one, this one, this one. And God's like, no, not that one either. And Samuel's like, not this one either. Seven guys come by. Seven sons of Jesse come by. And Samuel's like, nope. No. And by the time the seventh one comes by, he's got to be pretty beat down, pretty disappointed, pretty beat up, doesn't he? I mean, come on. I mean, he's got to be pretty desperate at this point. Pretty desperate. And in, in, in Scripture, seven is the number of completion. I mean, so basically what has happened here is that all of humanity, everything the world has to offer has passed by and God has rejected all of it. humanity's best try God rejects it all your righteousness is but filthy rags before me your best chance at this is nothing 
compared to what I have to offer you. All of this, all of this needs to be counted as loss as compared to what I want to bring about. And so Samuel looks at what has been presented to him by the world. And he's got two choices here. He can either take what's been handed to him. And how often do we do that? We just take what's been handed to us and we just make do with it, right? He can either make do with what he's got. He can go back to the first guy and anoint a lab and be on his way, right? Or he can just take his oil and he can go home. But no, all of a sudden faith wells up in Samuel and Samuel thinks to himself, there's got to be more going on here than what I can see. Because I believe what the word of God says more than I believe what my own eyes are telling me. I believe what the voice of the Holy Spirit and the, of the living God in my life is telling me more than what all my senses are telling me, more than the messages that are bombarding me every day from the world, more even than what my own emotions and my own mind are telling me. I believe the word of God more than I believe anything on the face of this earth. And even though they presented me with everything that they had, if God says one of the sons of Jesse is to be anointed of king of Israel, then one of the sons of Jesse is to be anointed as king of Israel and so Samuel looks at Jesse and he says you got any more you got any more because surely we're missing one because there's more than what I see here and Jesse's like I mean I guess technically I've got another one but surely to God, you don't want him. In the scripture, he's not even in this part before the anointing is not even worthy of having a name. The, the youngest, the baby, we've got him, but he's not relevant enough even to bring to the church service. We left him at the house to take care of the sheep so that we could all come see the man of God. Because surely he's not important enough to be here now. And Samuel says, go get him. Go get him. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. We're all going to stay up. We're just going to stay here standing until he gets here. And so they go... And they fetched this kid that wasn't even relevant enough to come with them to church. That wasn't even relevant enough to be called by name. But won't God always use what the rest of the world has rejected? Won't God always use the broken pieces that the rest of the world has cast aside? I mean, won't God always use the stuff that nobody else wants? That's the kind of God I serve. The kind of God that picks the one that everyone else throws away. The kind of God that helps the one that fell down rise up. So they sent for him and had him brought. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Rise 
and anoint him because this is the one. Now, skeptics hotly debate this piece of scripture and it's silly, but they do. Skeptics use this to prove the fallacy of the Bible, right? So God says to Samuel, rise up and anoint him for this is the one. And the skeptics out there that are living in their mama's basement on the internet, they say, well, why is it that God told him to rise up and anoint him when Samuel clearly stated that they were all going to stand up until he got there? Listen, when God says to Samuel, rise up and anoint him, he's not telling him to stand up physically. He's telling him to rise to the occasion. He's telling him that this is the most important moment in his entire life. That it is time for him to rise to the occasion. That what mattered in his life wasn't when he was the judge of Israel, wasn't when he defeated the Philistines, wasn't when he anointed the first king of Israel, wasn't when they captured back or was given back the Ark of the Covenant, weren't any of those things. That the most important moment in his life is this fresh anointing. The most important thing in his life is this second chance from God that he's given him right now. And if he does it, he's going to bring about something that he could not even comprehend. Rise up. Your time is now. And I would speak the same thing into your all's lives. Rise up. Rise up. Because the situation that you're in now just might be the most important situation in your entire life. The thing that you're going through now might be the occasion to where the rubber meets the road on the calling that God has in your life. Rise up. Do what God's called you to do right here and right now. Because if you do in obedience, then God is going to use it in a powerful, powerful way. In a powerful way. I mean, he could have just stayed stuck in his grief. He could have stayed stuck in his grief. But Samuel, but God says to Samuel, you've got to rise up out of your grief so David can rise up out of his station, so Jesus can rise up out of the grave, so the people of God can rise up into the air and meet him after he splits that eastern sky. Can you say amen? You see how all this falls together? See how this works together and the kingdom of God is on full, full display. Full display. And so, the disgraced prophet anoints the forgotten son and the power of the Holy Spirit fills this whole place and does something the likes of which that we can't even imagine. Then the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And now he has a name. And now he has a name. And now he has a name because our identity doesn't come from who our parents say that we are. 
Our identity doesn't come from who we look in the mirror and tell ourselves that we are. And our identity definitely doesn't come from who the world points their finger at us and says that we are. Our identity comes from who God says that we are. Our identity comes from who Christ calls us. Our identity comes from the power of the Holy Spirit that falls from heaven, fills us up, and overflows from us. Our identity comes from the fresh anointing that God puts on our life when we surrender it to him because it's a brand new thing. It's a brand new thing because you see this anointing that Samuel is able to pour out from God on David is an anointing that will never be rejected because the lineage of David The lineage of David will rule over the kingdom of Israel and over the entirety of earth for all of eternity. But he didn't get it right the first time. And so I don't know why we think that because we've fallen down that we can't rise up. I don't know why we have it in our heads that we could ever be too far gone. I don't know why we get stuck down there in our grief and in our sorrow and in our pain because things didn't work out the way that we thought they were going to. Guess what, buddy? Your plan was doomed from the beginning. Your plan was doomed from the beginning. But sometimes God lets us go ahead and walk those things out because it helps him get us right where we need to be. And so then we find ourselves stuck. Stuck in our own grief and our own pain. Afraid to get up because we're afraid to get knocked back down comfortable in being labeled as a failure lazy because it's easy to say well I gave life a shot I tried to follow Jesus I tried to make a way in life gave it a shot and here I am when little do you know that that fresh anointing, that new life, that second, third, 42nd chance that you're searching for is right there in his hand. Right there in his hand. You're that Nazarene You were with him. No, I wasn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. We know we can tell by your accent. You're one of his disciples. No. No, I wasn't. Not me. Third time. Oh, yes, yes, you were. I know it was you. I saw you with him. No, I don't know the man. 
and the rooster crows. And just like Jesus said he would, standing in, in, the, in the courtyard of Caiaphas while Jesus is on trial, man, Peter denies him one, two, three times. And in his grief, he flees, runs off into the night. And wouldn't it make more sense to us if we never saw him again? I mean, I mean wouldn't it make more sense to people if we never hear about him in scripture again? If we're like, oh yeah, he, he, didn't, he got scared, man. He denied Christ. He fled into the darkness. And that was the last we ever heard of Peter. Wouldn't that make more sense? And he did run back into his old life. He did run back into his old life. He laid down the calling of fishers of men. And he picked back up that dirty, stinky fishing net. Went back into his old life fish for fish a few days later he's out there living his old life not doing it very well because he ain't caught a thing slaving into the night just doing anything he can to regain his old identity because he failed at the new one. And then they see him standing on the shoreline. Can you imagine? Standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he looks out to the ship and he says, hey, guys, y'all catch anything? Just like he did three years earlier. And John, oh, John, we'll talk about him more on Wednesday night. Of course, he's writing his own book here, right? He stands up and says, it's the Lord. Peter's got two choices. Three, really. Let's give him three choices. He can stay where he's at. Stuck in his own grief and mourning. Afraid to fail again. Scared of the torment. Scared of the pain. Scared the devil's going to sift him like wheat and win again. Or heck, he can jump off the boat and swim the other way and just keep running. I've done both of those. Or. Or. Most of y'all know how the story goes. He can fling off his robes because they might slow him down. 
and he can take a running leap off the side of that boat. And now he wasn't able to walk on water this time, but he didn't need to. He jumped off the side of that boat with reckless abandon. And he fought through his grief and his sorrow and his guilt and his shame because they did a lot better job keeping him from Jesus than those waves ever would. And he fought his way to Jesus. Back to Jesus. Back to Jesus, overcoming whatever it was that was trying to stand between them. And John didn't beat him to the Lord this time. Didn't beat him to the Lord this time. And he goes and he fights his way through all his pain and all the physical things and he makes it to Jesus. And Jesus says, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. It's a fresh anointing. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. It's a fresh anointing. And he says the third time, and this one broke Peter's heart, but he had to bring it full circle. You understand? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. If it don't hurt a little bit, it's not real love. Let me just tell you that right now. If it don't hurt a little bit, it's not real love. Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me without condition, without restriction, without ceasing? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And some people think he meant, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? I think he was saying, do you love me more than these stupid fish? Do you love me more than you love your old life? Do you love me more than you love yourself? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I love you. Then Peter, my rock, my brother, feed my sheep. David came up from being a shepherd. Peter just became one. We serve a full circle kind of God. He'll take you right back where you started and put you on mission. I don't care how many times you failed. I don't care how much weight that you carry. I don't care how broken that you think that you are. Rise up. Get filled up. Because there's a purpose still for you right here, right now. If you're breathing air, my God wants to use you. Samuel had to rise up 
so David could rise up, so Jesus could rise up, so we could rise up. Who out there is waiting on you? Who's waiting on you?